We, um, over the next uh, two weeks, or at least in three weeks' time, will be the, the kicker of the second part of this. We're looking at this whole idea of keeping in sync. In fact, this word has only been invented, really, and used in our common language, the invent of uh, iOS devices, and uh, you've uploaded a song or downloaded the song onto your computer, and you want to make sure that it's actually on your iOS device, your phone that you're taking with you. So what you do is you attach a cord to it, and you sync. In other words, the same information on one is on the same um, device as the other, and you can carry them with you in the knowledge that we have all the things in sync with one another. If only relationships were as simple as plugging in a cord and waiting for some time to download, yeah? If it was only as simple as that. Has anyone here ever thought they were in sync with someone else only to realize that they were thoroughly out of sync? Yeah, a few nodding heads along the way. In fact, this week what I did was I asked randomly 20 to 30 people if they could answer a simple question for me. And the question went something like this. What are the signs that you know that you are out of sync with a work colleague or a friend? All right, and I just collated them and put them into the seven signs that you know you are out of sync with a friend or a work colleague. And uh, so I just want to run through them really quickly just as we move through things this morning. Firstly, the silent treatment. Anyone get that? Silent treatment? cold shoulder along the way, and they said social banter dries up. We're in the workplace or a friendship, the social banter just kind of, you know, it just dries on up. Next, we have excluded from invites and meetings and events. Yeah, you ever realize, hey, wait a second, how did you know about that meeting? You know, how did you know about that event? Oh, I was just in, well, I don't, not sure if I actually got in on that one. And then only talk via email. Do you like that one? Just that the conversation is just duly on a professional basis, email conversation. Um, body language, anyone? You, you can say a lot of things with your body and your language. You, yep. And then, uh, I like this, this gets a little bit more personal. They ask difficult and loud questions that they already know the answer to in meetings. <laughs> I think that person may have had some experience yeah, that week. And then the, the last one here is, uh, I, I thought this was just a little step further. They copy your boss, your boss's boss, and half your team in on emails. That's when you know you are out of sync. Anyone relate to those things? Okay, ask the same question then about... Um, husband-wife relationships, okay? So now this is just takes, takes the stakes just a little bit higher. Seven signs that you know you are out of sync with uh, the love of your life. Um, the silent treatment came through quite consistently on all of them. The next is overreaction to trivial matters. Have you ever experienced that in your lives before? Overreaction to trivial matters. You thought they were trivial. The other person didn't. That's the trick, right? Uh, not going out of your way to please... Not, could you imagine people doing that? I mean, really? Not going out of your... Fourth one, the air is heavy, sarcasm reigns. Notice? Don't know that. Okay, we're going to interview that person right now. Okay, the, the, the fifth one, the fifth one. Turning up to pick up a son from sport and he has already been picked up an hour ago. I thought, this is good. This gets a little bit more personal from here, just so you know, okay? So I think these were some common experiences that might have happened in the last week or two in these people's lives. Okay, so here's the, the next one. I thought this was a really good kicker for me. Presence of eggshells on the floor, which necessitates careful treading. And for me, this was the... The piece de resistance, the cherry on top of the cake. When she goes to bed and doesn't tell me, and I'm left on the couch wondering. <laughs> One of our values around here at, 
at New Community is this value of authenticity. And so I just, I have checked this next one out with my wife and she said it's okay for me to actually share this today. So just getting a little bit personal here for a moment. So I want to talk about uh, yellow tulips just for a moment. So um, a number of weeks ago, could you imagine there was a, a family and they were having dinner together and the papa bear was a little bit grumpy. And that papa bear realized that he was a bit grumpy and he spoke poorly of the mama bear in front of the little baby bears. And then the next day when that papa bear went to work, he thought, you know what, that's actually not really fair. He shouldn't have spoken that way. And so he had this brilliant idea. He thought, I know what I'm going to do. Tonight, I'm going to return home and I'm going to cook the meal and I'm going to go out of my way. That is, the papa bear is going to go out of his way to buy some yellow... Tulips. So he actually decided to go to the flower shop and, and actually buy some flowers. And he thought red's probably pushing it. So the romance side, there's none of that. So maybe it's white or yellow. And he went for yellow because he thought that was partway between the, the white and the red. So he actually then, the papa bear went and bought these yellow tulips and he took them home and he put them in the refrigerator because he wanted to keep them snap cold so they would be in fresh condition for when she came home. And the idea in this papa bear's head was that what he would do is he would cook the meal and then when mama bear got home with all the little baby bears and they were sitting around the table having cooked this meal for them, that then at the end of the meal, he would proceed to go to the refrigerator, open it up and do a grandiose fall on the sword apology in front of them all. Yep. Just apologizing for the grumpiness the night before. Brilliant plan. I thought, he thought, along the way. <laughs> the only problem was Mama Bear was getting all the kids the next very night, and so Papa Bear was cooking all the food and had it all ready to go and on the table and then started to wait and wait and wait. Forty minutes later after the waiting, it wasn't Mama Bear's fault, she eventually got home. With this stage, Papa Bear got a little bit grumpy again and gone to his room and decided to actually just do some other work because who knows when they're getting home in the first place, right? So eventually they got home. Eventually they got home. And they were sitting there at the table. By this time, all the food was cold. And so Papa Bear, half his trick was over by that time because the meal had half been spoiled. And so eventually he came out of his room and decided he would heat up his meal in the microwave to which he did. Heated up his meal and begrudgingly sat down at the table because it was going to be perfect and the idea had been exploded out of the water. And so there was at that moment when he sat down with his meal all ready to go, he thought maybe Papa Bear can retrieve the moment. So he actually reached to the... the, uh, remote control because I know I had to say that the television was on. It's not always normal or usual, but the, the television was on at this stage and he hit the off button because he wanted to have conversation with his family, uh, the Papa Bear's family. And so at that moment, the Mama Bear and the Baby Bear said, no, no, this is really important. We want to watch it. To which at that moment, Papa Bear went, huh, flowers in the fridge, trying to retrieve the moment. Right. You don't even want to hear my apology. Fine. Eat the food and off back to the workstation again. Two days went by. Two days. And Papa Bear is in the refrigerator getting some stuff out. And Mama Bear comes and looks over his shoulder and sees some yellow tulips in the refrigerator. And she says unbeknownst to herself, oh, there's some yellow tulips in the refrigerator. 
who are they for? <laughs> to which Papa Bear reached in and said, they're for you. <laughs> they're an apology for the other night when I did something wrong. I had the meal cooked, everything ready done, and I was going to apologize with flowers in front of you all. But you were more interested in watching television than receiving flowers. Oh, says Mama Bear, as Papa Bear's digging his hole, as someone's saying right now. To which Mama Bear graciously goes, oh, that is so bad of me. I shouldn't have done that. I did not even know. Has there any been times in your relationship where you have felt out of sync with someone else? We got into sync for a little while after that. And the flowers were okay. Is that right, Bron? Yep, very good. Along the way. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if those situations ever happen for you, but they happen along the way all the time in different friends, colleagues, work relationships. You know it. In fact, if you want to follow with me, there's a little handout you're probably sitting on right now that will give you the answers to how you can stay in sync in whatever relationship you're in over the next coming at least 48 hours. In fact, there's two main reasons why people get out of sync. One of the reasons that I think people get out of sync is that we think we know. We think we know what the other person is thinking. We think we know what the other person is feeling and we think we understand them and we think we can fix them along the way. We'll have a look at this little illustration here about a man called Destin and his unrideable bike to illustrate this very point. We think we know and we don't always know along the way. Check out this. Hey, it's me, Destin. Welcome back to Smarter Every Day. You've heard people say it's just like riding a bike, meaning it's really easy and you can't forget how to do it, right? But I did something. I did something that damaged my mind. It happened on the streets of Amsterdam, and, and I got really scared, honestly. I, I can't ride a bike like you can anymore. Before I show you the video of what happened, I, I need to tell you the backstory. Like many six-year-olds with a MacGyver mullet, I learned how to ride a bike when I was really young. I had learned a life skill, and I was really proud of it. Everything changed, though, when my friend Barney called me 25 years later. Where I work, the welders are geniuses, and they like to play jokes on the engineers. He had a challenge for me. He had built a special bicycle, and he wanted me to try to ride it. He had only changed one thing. When you turn the handlebar to the left, the wheel goes to the right. When you turn it to the right, the wheel goes to the left. I thought this would be easy, so I hopped on the bike, ready to demonstrate how quickly I could conquer this. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Destin Salmon. First attempt riding the bicycle. I couldn't do it. You can see that I'm laughing, but I'm actually really frustrated. In this moment, I had a really deep revelation. My thinking was in a rut. This bike revealed a very deep truth to me. I had the knowledge of how to operate the bike, but I did not have the understanding. Therefore, knowledge is not understanding. Look, I know what you're probably thinking. Destin's probably just an uncoordinated engineer and can't do it. But that's not the case at all. The algorithm that's associated with riding a bike in your brain is just that complicated. Think about it. Downwards force on the pedals, leaning your whole body, pulling and pushing the handlebars, gyroscopic procession in the wheels. Every single force is part of this algorithm. And if you change any one part, it affects the entire control system. I do not make definitive statements that often. But I'm telling you right now, you cannot ride this bicycle. You might think you can, but you can't. I know this because I'm often asked to speak at universities and conferences and I take the bike with me. It's always the same. People think they're gonna try some trick or they're just gonna power through it. It doesn't work. Your brain cannot handle this. For instance, this guy. 
I offered him $200 just to ride this bike 10 feet across the stage. Everybody thought he could do it. No, 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 you didn't understand. You didn't understand. So, this way. All right, so, whatever you're in. Quick, quick. No, no, you have to keep your feet on. Keep your feet on the pedal. Go. Once you have a rigid way of thinking in your head, sometimes you cannot change that, even if you want to. Very good. And so one of the things that I find in relationships is that sometimes you think you know how someone's thinking, feeling, but it doesn't always lead to understanding. I remember when I wife and I first got married in those first few months when we were kind of trying to understand one another at a a deeper level, that I actually did something that was really foolish for me to have done at that stage in our early married life. I tried to map my wife's brain. You see, I discovered that the way in which we thought was so ridiculously different that it seemingly needed to be spelt out for her. And once she understood the way in which she should naturally think in her thought processes, she would understand me a little bit better, and then we'd all be synced together and we'll work out things just fine. Now, I'm giving these illustrations today because I want all the other people in this room to feel really encouraged <laughs> by our um, sometimes learning experiences ourselves. You think, oh man, if they're like that, imagine what, oh, we're not half as bad as what they are. So along the way, I decided to pull out a piece of paper and I said, actually, I don't understand how you went from this thought to that thought there, which then wound up right up here. I don't understand that. Can you help me understand? And I realized along the way, after many months of trying and fruitless conversation, that I just needed to accept that the way Bron thought was different to me and the way I thought. Hers wasn't wrong. It was just different. And if I thought I could figure it out, and make sense of it all, then I was kidding myself. Because knowledge doesn't always lead to understanding. In fact, we often don't even take the time to try. So this is where Destin finished up about his experience of learning to ride. About five minutes every day. My neighbors made fun of me. I had many wrecks. But after eight months, this happened. One day I couldn't ride the bike, and the next day I could. It was like I could feel some kind of pathway in my brain that was now unlocked. It was really weird though. It's like there's this trail in my brain, but if I wasn't paying close enough attention to it, my brain would easily lose that neural path and jump back onto the old road it was more familiar with. Any small distractions at all, like a cell phone ringing in my pocket, would instantly throw my brain back to the old control algorithm and I would wreck. But at least I could ride it. Yeah. So in the end, what I discover about this is that we think we know, but knowledge doesn't always learn to understanding. You want to be in sync with someone else, work colleague, friend, husband, wife, stop trying to fix them and start trying to accept them. One of the most powerful questions you can ask in a relationship is simply this. Can you please help me understand? Can you please help me understand? Can you please 
help me understand. And then take the time to listen and stop trying to make them you. Make sense? Second thing I want to talk about along the way this morning when it comes to keeping in sync is a simple bookshelf. A number of years ago when I was working as a teacher in a high school uh, far, far, far away a long time ago, uh, there was an interaction that happened between two particular staff members in the workroom. There was a senior staff member that had been there for a long, long time and they were sitting at their desk and it was one of those desks that had the shelves on it and they had all their books stacked along the very top shelf. In fact, they'd been there so long, they actually took over the top shelf of the person's desk opposite them too. So they had their books stacked up on the top of their shelf as well. And the person on the opposite side was a new uh, staff member, kind of around the same age as me and had just come on uh, to the, uh, the school community and staffing program and she was there. And, and sometime during the year, she decided that she needed to reclaim the top of her desk. After all, even though the senior teacher had been there for a long time, it was her desk and she had stuff to put up there. So one particular day when I was in the workroom and I was standing there, or actually sitting, just minding my own business, uh, she actually turned to him and said, you know what, I I would actually like to have my top shelf back, if that's all right. And she began to push his books back to his side on the desk, to which his books started to fall off on on his side because there was a a double layer, yeah, to which he jumped up and said, no, no, I'm senior staff here, I've been here a long time, and he began to push them back on the other side, to which she went, no, you know what, no, this is not fair because I have my desk and this is my top and I've got books I want to place on it. So she began to push harder this way to which he he began to push harder this way and collect all of the books now and push them back so they were falling off on the other side of that. And before you knew it, the two of them had got into such a balmy fight, he stormed out, books went everywhere and she looked at me and said, why didn't you do something? (laughs) To which I looked back and went, It all happened so quickly. (laughs) I didn't know what was happening. The truth of the matter is, one of the reasons why, the second reason why we get out of sync in our relationships is because it's got to do with your stuff and my stuff. Your stuff and my stuff. Now, before I give you this next illustration, I just want you to know that I didn't come up with this idea all by myself, okay? Uh, I, I watched this. In fact, you can un- unpack it a little bit more from the, the person below, Andy Stanley, uh, if you want to look up some resources along the way and, and do a take home. But um, I've brought along with me this morning two characters. And um, he is uh, Mr. Mustache Mug, and, and she is uh, Mrs. Luscious Red Lips. Okay? And this is the way it kind of usually goes when it comes to relationships. So Mr. Mug decides that he really, really likes Mrs. Uh, luscious lips, yeah? And, and, and there's this drug that infuses both of them, and it's called romance. And, and, and when romance strikes, they kind of want to do everything together, like wherever they go, yeah? They, they go together, and, and the world seems like this blissful harmony, yeah? You understand? But then they think, man, I am so into you, um, and the romance drug works so powerfully in his life that his mother can't even understand him because he's speaking more than he has ever spoken in his entire life. He cleans his room. He combs his hair. And it's like it's a completely different creature has emerged because of this drug called romance. Yeah. And then simultaneously, though, she, she used to have a scowl on her face, carried it wherever she went. 
But then she met Mr. Perfect of my dreams and Mr. Mustache. And, and all of a sudden, she began to smile. She was like a new creature. And they went everywhere together. So much so they decided we wanted to spend the rest of our lives together. And so they married. But then about three weeks after the honeymoon, something happened. She, she entered the room one day and they bumped each other. And all this blue stuff came out of him and all this red stuff came out of her. And he thought, hmm, there's all this stuff that's coming out of me and it's your fault because you bumped me. And she goes, no, 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 that's not how it works. She said, there's something wrong with you because when you bump me, all this red stuff comes out of me. And they dig in their heels to one another before you know it. They're bumping one another like this. And stuff is going everywhere. And the real kicker and the trick of this is that the Mr. Mustache is convinced that the reason why blue stuff is going everywhere is because there's something wrong with Mrs. With Mrs. Red Hot Lips. <laughs> Mrs. Red Hot Lips, Hot Lips thinks that there's all this stuff coming out of Mr. Blue, or of her, because Mr. Blue is bumping into her, right? And so after some considerable time of bumping each other, they have this brilliant idea. They say, you know what I think we should do? What we should do is actually find someone else because when I'm bumping into her, she's the one who brings out the worst in me and there's all this stuff that comes out of me because she's bumping me. And so he decides to go and find someone else. Yeah. And the only problem is that he re- uh, somewhere along the line, they bump each other too and realize, wait a second, that same stuff is coming out of me and they're doing it as well. And then she finds someone who thinks, oh, no, he's the man of my dreams. Oh, he's not like the other one. And they eventually bump one another. And she goes, man, he's bumping me just like the other boy did. I think I need to get another boy. <laughs> what I've discovered, in, and, and if you think I'm referring to you in this conversation, I just want you to know I'm not. It's just from 20 years of observing relationships and trying to help people work out stuff and work out my own stuff, I realize that the truth of the matter is that blue stuff comes out of Mr. Mustache because that's his stuff in there. Ain't that the truth, ladies? <laughs> There's red stuff that comes out of Mrs. Lush's lips because the stuff is in her Ain't that the truth, men? <laughs> See, some of us are just prepared to name it. Stuff goes everywhere. And we can keep bumping one another and bumping one another and bumping one another until at the end of the day, what we need to realize is that we need to ask ourselves some questions. Maybe that stuff is coming out of me. Maybe it's got to do with my stuff rather than someone else's stuff. You see, Jesus said these words. He said, it's what comes out of a person's heart that makes them unclean, not what goes into them. See, what comes out of their heart is pride and envy and lust and greed and anger and selfish thoughts and desires. That's the stuff that comes out of us that's in all of us that makes for all the problems in our world, in our relationships, and why we find it so hard to keep in sync 
In fact, in Matthew chapter 7 in the Bible, Jesus says these profound words. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own? You hypocrite. And nobody likes hypocrites, do we? Nobody likes a hypocrite. He says, you hypocrite, first take out of the plank of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck that's in your brother's. Wow. You see, Jesus wasn't saying there weren't specks and planks in other people's eyes. What he was just asking us to do was to look at our own stuff first. And once we've cleared up our stuff, then we might be able to deal with other people's stuff. Because the truth of the matter is, I've found in my life, in my experience, with all different kinds of relationships, it's hard enough to change me, nevertheless, someone else. Have you discovered that too? The hardest person to change is me and you. Now, sometimes, I want to be honest, so once you've worked out some of the stuff in your own eye, there are serious planks in the other person's eye, or maybe only specks. But each person needs to look at their own stuff first, Jesus would say. In fact, he goes on, and I think the point of it is, stop pointing out their stuff and start owning your own stuff. One of the things we do in our marriage preparation courses around here is that we have this amazing time when the drug of romance is really powerful and high. We ask couples, I ask couples to kind of work together in a pause in a moment in one of their marriage prep lessons. I say, would you guys go ahead and write down, would you please go ahead and write down if there was maybe two or three things that you would change in each other before you enter into marriage, would you just kind of Give it some considered time and come back here in a week or two and I want you to name them before one another. You know, We do that because they are so love-struck with romance that they can kind of say things to one another and it's still kind of like, okay, have you noticed that? Once you've been in a relationship or in a friendship with a work colleague for a long time, you get a little bit more blunter with each other, you notice that. But when the romance is high, you can say all these incredibly sort of direct things and the other person just goes, wow, that is so good, I will do anything for you, my darling. I will do anything for you, my honey, Mr. Mustache Man. Anything. And so we work at it that way. But have you ever had someone say to you and point out something in your life that they think you should change and you've known them for a long time or maybe a short time and there is no romance? How do you feel about that? Does it feel good? No, when we point out other people's faults, it hurts. And sometimes we want to say, I want you to work out your stuff rather than point out my stuff. It's so easy to fall out of sync with one another. What I think the answer is, is stop pointing out their stuff and start owning your own stuff. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, well, Troy, who should start with who? I'd say both of you. Well, well, well if we both dug our heels in, what should we do? Both of you. Look at your own stuff. Yeah, yeah, but what if we're... Both of you should look at your own stuff. And then if you're so hard at pointing at the other person, maybe you should start looking at your stuff and then ask the question afterwards. Ooh, is that a bit hard? How do we move forward? How do we keep in sync? One thing I want to highlight. 
Before I do that, I just want to give you some free advice for anyone before you enter into a long-term relationship. Uh, Choosing a life partner, husband, wife, let me just run through it really quickly. This is free of charge. (laughs) Wait for the romance to level because romance is a powerful drug. Number two, listen to the voice of people who have your best interests at heart. They have your best interests at heart. Number three, if they can't live without you, if that's what they say, entering into it, I can't live without you, then you can't live with them. They need to sort their stuff out first. If you think you'll fix them, you are kidding yourself. Watch their behavior and make sure it matches their words. Behavior should match intent. And lastly, a better me makes for a better we. Wow. Write that down, write a book about it, all those things, but apply those things to any relationship in your life. And for those of you who go, it's too late, go back one step. Your stuff, my stuff along the way. What does the Bible say about these things? Where can we pull things together this morning? Powerful questions for you to ask. What's going on in me when I react this way? Why am I reacting this way in the first place? Powerful question you can ask in owning your own stuff is, is this my stuff or have I just brought my stuff in here and it's not their stuff at all? It's my stuff spilling over onto them. Dan's going to come up in a moment. We're going to listen to a song, a worship song I'd invite you to respond to. But as they do, I want to point you to one section in the Bible that I think is a profound place to start for anyone who wants to get their relationships back on sync. And it comes from a book of the Bible. It's called Psalm 139. And there's a man by the name of David who writes some of the most searching and profound inquiry into his life that I've ever read. Psalm 139 starts like this. Oh God, you have searched me. And you know me. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Yahweh, O Lord, O God. You hem me in behind me and before me. You'd laid your hand before me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. He goes on and says, For you created me in my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. All the days you ordained for me were written in your book before them. In other words, David's writing and he's saying, God, you know my comings and goings. You know my inner thoughts, where I've been, where I'm going. You know all of me. And he presses on and he says, God, I don't want to be like other people who might be wicked, who kill and who are murderous. I don't want to be part of them and what they do. I want to follow your ways. And so he finishes his psalm, his most intimate thoughts, with this most provoking two lines. He says, Yahweh, search me. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You see, David's thoughts led him to the conclusion that it's easy to say words 
It's easy to point fingers. But there is one being in this universe, a creator God, Yahweh, who ultimately knows his hearts and his thoughts, even when he is deceiving himself. And so humbly he becomes before him and he says, God, Yahweh, Lord, search me, know my heart, test me, and know my thoughts. And if there's any offensive way in me, find it out and lead me in the way of everlasting. In a moment as they sing, there's going to be this, this worship song. And what I find one of the most powerful ways to change my heart and my thinking is when I come before someone who's bigger than me, God, and I humble myself and I look to him. And when I say, God, you're God and I'm not, when I worship him rather than worshiping myself, I find all kinds of possibilities open up in our lives. Just the very act of humbling myself makes me open to his voice. And I wonder, as this song is being sung, if you might respond in an act of worship to God that is kind of more about saying, God, I want you to search me and test me and lead me so that I might be the one who gets in sync because I want you to deal with me first. In two weeks' time, we're going to talk about dealing together, but this week, we want to deal with ourselves. And if you'd like to respond, then why don't you worship with Kat? If you'd like to pray, maybe just sit and pray and listen. Maybe you'd just like to take in the words and reflect on those handouts. Whatever you do this morning, don't go away without engaging and asking honest questions. Search me. Test me. Lead me. <laughs>